And welcome back to America. Can we talk? I'm Debbie George Addis. This is our top of the second hour cruise to the news. If I had a show every day, I would spend a little bit more time on each of these stories, but I just wanted to hit them briefly in tonight's uh, tonight's show, America Can We Talk. Um, first, I want to comment, of course, that Charles Krauthammer, just a uh, widely known, respected, revered uh, political commentator uh, who uh, was is just you know has been in America's newsrooms for decades and in our homes and our computer screens, uh, sent out a statement this week letting everyone know that he's um, he's losing his battle with um, cancer and not uh, likely to survive. I wanted to say one thing about that. His closing line was, um, I am sad to leave, but I leave with the knowledge that I lived the life that I intended. That was a really good line and kind of a good reminder about, you know, you read so often about people uh, having regrets late in life and kind of wishing they had said or done something different than they did. It's a great, I mean, I, kudos to him for a life that living life he intended. I love that thought about, you know, just lead your life. Don't let your life lead you. Um, so wanted to certainly um, just express concern and sadness for him and his family and uh, those who love him. Um, I also want to mention there were some, there were a pretty high profile suicides this week. And I don't want to dive into the details of them, but it did on this subject in this course of his valuing life and and understanding how precious life is. Of course, we had the um, really both surprises of fashion designer Kate Spade and then celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain, who uh, took their own lives this week. And, you know, what I just want to say about that is, you know, in America, it is just a, um, it's a prof- just a profoundly important a uh, tenant of America that we are just a we are a nation that is uh, respectful of life. You know, we have we have millions who fight for the right to life. We fight to to value life, and um, it's it's tremendously sad that these two uh, took their lives. They were famous people, so we all see it. But you know, if you step back from those statistics, there were. Um, last year, I think there was 45,000 suicides in America. And actually, the other statistic I wanted to touch on was there are, for among our veteran population, I said this, I read this number, I heard this number, 22 veterans a day take their own lives. And I thought, that can't be accurate. That just, In fact, a friend of mine said, I don't think so. You better double check that. Well, I've looked, and as far as you're able to determine that, it appears to be an accurate number, just a staggering number. And I've always been a little bit bothered by the idea that we are more upset and saddened by the loss of famous people like Kate Spade um, or Anthony Bourdain than we are by the loss of just the everyday Joe, the everyday American who had family who loved him, who are devastated by a suicide, who look around and ask, what could I have done? I mean, there's just a real need to value every life and not hold celebrity life up as more important. Every life in America is important and valuing life is and being sensitive with our our family and friends and discerning uh, if they seem just reaching out and supporting each other. There's just, there's something, there's so much inherent goodness in American culture. And I would love to see that we could be, um, you know, protect each other more from the thoughts of just ending your own life. Just the, just the horrific idea of killing yourself. And then with our veterans, uh, to the extent any of that is related to our failure to provide just the best care possible, not just for the immediately returning veterans, of course, them, but for all of them. So that's a, it's something we can do in America is support our veterans. 
um, and and hopefully reduce that number. And whether they are the very seniors, uh, people who maybe need more care than they are getting, uh, or those who return from recent battle and, and have just struggled with um, you know PTSD or any other difficulty. Okay, so on the subject of loving our veterans, uh, President Trump signed a $55 billion bill this week to give veterans more health care options, acknowledge there's going to be an overhaul of the VA. This is great. Uh, veterans can go, if they can't get timely service in the Veterans Administration, they can get covered service from a private doctor. Love that. Next story in our cruise to the news. Uh, the Trump administration has announced, has told the court, it will not defend the Obamacare lawsuit uh, that was filed by our attorney general here in the great state of Texas, um, you know, Ken Paxson, but also uh, 20 other or 19 other states. And the, the basic argument, by the way, in this case is that back to 2012, when the constitutionality of Obamacare was before the Supreme Court. And the issue was, does the federal government have the right to mandate that you buy insurance? And because whatever reason he had, Chief Justice John Roberts wanted to save Obamacare, he ruled that it wasn't a mandate, it was just a tax. So he said that Congress has the power to say, give people a choice, buy insurance, or get taxed. Well, now that there was a change in the Obama, in Obamacare legislation due to the Republicans, um, there's no tax penalty now for buying the insurance. There's no tax. There's no taxation in place. So the argument goes: all the other parts of the law tied to that mandate, because now there's no tax, must go away also. And it appears that the uh, Department of Justice is agreeing with the attorneys general from various states, saying we can't defend this; it's indefensible. It's a great thing for America. Okay, you also probably heard last week that there was a Supreme Court ruling relating to this baker in the state of Colorado who didn't want to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. He didn't want to participate in the artistic design of a cake and for, for it to celebrate a ceremony that he did not believe in. Um, the court came down on the side of the baker, but just barely. I'm going to run out of time and tell you why, because i got to tell you, before we go off to our break, we have another guest joining us in the next segment. He's also joining us by phone, and this is Representative Jeff Deal, D-I-E-H-L, and Jeff Deal was chosen by the voters in Massachusetts, the GOP, to run against Senator Elizabeth Warren and this fall. And I want to hear how someone thinks they're going to win a Republican Senate seat in the state of Massachusetts. So come right back. We'll talk to Representative Jeff Deal. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. 
Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and as I mentioned before our break, we have another great guest joining us tonight, Representative Jeff Deal, D-I-E-H-L. He is currently a state representative in the State House in Massachusetts, a Republican, but he has won the nomination of the Republican Party in Massachusetts to be the challenger to incumbent Democrat Senator Elizabeth Warren in the United States Senate. So this young man we're about to hear from is actually challenging Elizabeth Warren. So I believe we have him online. Good evening, Representative Deal. Debbie, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this. You are so very welcome. Well, you know, I have to tell you, we're here in the gray state of Texas, which... You know, in many uh, races, the Republican kind of, if you win the primary, all done. Uh, but not all races, but there are a lot of them. So, but it's interesting from Texas, uh, and you said something on the phone I want to just kind of dive right in and talk about, which is 
What is the reason you think in Massachusetts, which is such a such a Democrat state, what is the reason you think people there might be willing to make a change and go Republican for their representative and Senate? Like, what's your race going to be all about? Well, first of all, it's who's working for Massachusetts, who has a track record. And I've been serving in the legislature for eight years. And Elizabeth Warren's been in office for about five and a half years. I've actually put money back in people's wallets where she has done nothing for Massachusetts. I, I was the leader of a repeal movement in 2014 that stopped, actually repealed the indexing of our gas tax. And we saved taxpayers $2 billion in, in industries as well, which really benefited from having that extra money. And obviously we're seeing now with the tax reform that passed in 2017, you know, Congress is finally giving people more of their money back. I have a track record of doing that in Massachusetts. Elizabeth Warren, uh, I'll just give you a good example. The 21st Century Cures Act, uh, a bill that uh, does a lot of NIH research funding for research hospitals to end terminal illnesses like cancer and, and Alzheimer's. She voted against that, even though every Democrat from Massachusetts voted for it, all the other congressional members. Is, and, excuse uh, me, is this one of the right, is that the same thing as right to try? That caught right to uh, it's related to Right to Try. What it's trying to do, this in this case, they're trying to fund research to end those illnesses. Right to Try is sort of a counterpart to it to um, uh, try to make sure that uh, we also let clin- clinical trials happen with people willing to test drugs that currently have to go through the FDA process. And, you know, the FDA can take up to 10 years sometimes to get things through. It costs over a billion dollars uh, for drugs to go through these trials. And only 1% of drugs make it. Now, you know, the goal was to try to, you know, find the, the researching to get this done. Massachusetts has research hospitals that benefit directly from, you know, the uh, the funding to try to fight these cures. And the other thing is we got $12 million to fight the opioid crisis. So Warren takes votes that aren't even good for our state as far as trying to, you know, help those people who need uh, uh, help with opioids or, again, trying to find the cures on, on cancer and, and Alzheimer's. So that's just an example, like I said, of how she actually votes in opposition to what's good for our state. Now, uh, the other thing, too, is for your listeners to remember that even though Scott Brown did lose to Elizabeth Warren, he was the 41st vote against Obamacare in Massachusetts when he ran in yep, that special yep. election 2010. And the state, which actually, you know, Ted Kennedy and Mitt Romney had given us the Unaffordable Care Act, you know, they actually voted for Scott Brown to not become, you know, to not make the national plan because we knew in Massachusetts it really wasn't financially working for us. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is um, we have a Republican governor now, something that we didn't have and a Republican president, something we didn't have in 2012 when uh, Elizabeth Warren was elected. And so I think that this state certainly is turning the corner on looking for someone who works for them and not someone who's just another obstructive voice down in Washington. I love that. One thing you said in the phone, we talked on the phone earlier in the week, and you described, I was saying, well, you know, what kind of, how are people Republican in Massachusetts? Like, what are they all about? You actually describe Massachusetts as a little bit like a rust belt. Can you describe, tell our listeners about that? Well, that's the thing, Debbie, too. The uh, fact that President Trump, who I was the only Republican who endorsed and supported him in 2016 in my state, you know, he made the case to the American people that we had put America behind for too long, that we weren't paying attention to our veterans and the health care they needed, that we weren't uh, securing our borders. And this state spends $1.8 billion every year to cover the cost of those here illegally. A lot of that money could go towards our schools, could go towards uh, making sure veterans get the care they need, making sure that our roads are taken care of. But instead, almost $2 billion every year out of our $40 billion budget in Massachusetts goes to cover the cost of illegals. And so I think what Trump said, what I'm trying to say now is, 
you know, we've got to actually adhere to policy that's going to work for the people of Massachusetts. And I think that's why, uh, you know, outside of the the Boston, you know, Beltway, of course, Boston, Suffolk County, Cambridge, of course, is going to be ground zero for Warren supporters. But the rest of the state is finally waking up to the fact uh, that the industries that we've had for so long, the fishing industry, is getting hammered uh, by our NOAA regulations. And Warren will do nothing to try to help them. Uh, Obama left office and in the final year declared 5,000 square miles of fishing grounds off our south coast as unfishable uh, as monument status. And uh, it really put a huge crimp in our fishing industry, which has been around forever. So, uh, you know, she now vows she will not try to overturn that. That's something I will try to work for them uh, the day I'm elected. But the thing is, there's a lot of industries. We used to be the capital of shoe manufacturing, the textile mills of Lowell, uh, you know, and those industries are leaving our state and going to other places because, uh, you know, Democrats in the state have run it for so long, run it into the ground. And so now with a Republican governor and finally, uh, I think after November, a, a Republican senator that can be a seat at the table in Washington in a way that Elizabeth Warren can't, I think we're going to actually be able to do this. And that's the case we're making to the voters out there. And that's why uh, in my primary, I, I won so overwhelmingly at the convention uh, over my two opponents. I was going to mention that your Massachusetts convention, I looked it up, was in April this year. And this is a great thing. Honestly, just even hearing you speak, you're obviously young. You have a lot of energy. You, I don't think anyone can win the race of talking faster than I do, but you could be close. Because I grew up <laughs> way upstate New York. And it's the one thing. I've had good friends listen to my show. They say, well, at the beginning, you're talking kind of regular pace. By the end, you're trying to you, you speed up because I'm trying to get so much in. But I love your energy, love your passion. And I think that that is something that, she, you know, uh, she just doesn't have, it's honestly, she kind of grates listening to me, grates listening to her, but I want to go, and so I, I love that you're running this race against her. I do want to ask you too about just President Trump's popularity. I have to tell you that, you know, even in Texas, where many of us were uh, Ted Cruz supporters in the primary originally, and even people kind of come and say, well, okay, you know, uh, he's our guy, got to get behind him. People have gotten behind President Trump uh, be after he took office and watching him perform in office and watching what he's doing with the tariff and G7 and what he's doing with North Korea, what he's doing, he just is kind of, he's taken over. He's just taken charge in a way that many Americans who were not too sure about him are really rallying behind him now. Do you think that's true in Massachusetts too and they're among the Republicans? Well, I'll tell you another interesting number to look at is the fact that uh, Donald Trump got more votes in Massachusetts than our Republican governor. Now, they were two different election cycles, but the fact remains that more people voted for the president, uh, even though he lost the state. And so uh, in our election cycle coming up, the midterm election, we have about two million voters that show up. Donald Trump got a million ninety thousand voters to vote for him. If we get every Trump voter to come out and vote for me in the cycle, because those are the people that want to see the swamp get drained down in Washington, want to make sure our borders secure. They want to make sure that uh, we're putting our you know, people's interests first when it comes to tax reform and tax cuts that put mon- more money into people's pockets. I'll tell you, in Massachusetts, 80% of our residents have gotten a tax cut. Elizabeth Warren voted against that bill, calling it crumbs, just like Nancy Pelosi. And we've seen people getting raises. We've seen people getting more hiring uh, going on with our companies. Two of our electric companies have actually reduced rates for our consumers. So we're seeing success because of President Trump. And we are seeing, I think, a movement where people in every state are starting to vote for the person that's going to deliver results. It may not be, you know, Trump's popularity as far as the way he tweets, but it's what he's delivering to the American people and what he promised and that he's trying to fulfill every promise that he made. And that's really been my goal since I've been in office is 
uh, under, you know, under promising, but over delivering wherever I can. And that's why, like I said, I was able to win uh, my convention in my state. And now with five months left, you know, we're doing extremely well. We've had Sean Spicer come up to host an event for me. Oh, cool. Okay. Yep. I've had Governor uh, Paul LePage, a sitting governor from New England, come down to Massachusetts and do an event for me. So they see what, you know, I know, and that is that the people of our state are finally going to be able to get someone who promises to work the full six years. Uh, I challenged Elizabeth Warren to fulfill the full six years. And I think in Texas and around the country, people probably can see this. She wants to run for president in 2020. Oh, no, she said no. They asked her. She said no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She said, no, no, I'm running for Senate. But that's code word for I will be running for president as soon as I'm reelected. And, you know, we our state doesn't need another Democrat. You know, we've had John Kerry. We've had Mike Dukakis. We've got, you know, everybody who gets into office in Massachusetts thinks they should run for president, you know, in the next cycle. Uh, I just want to get down to Washington and actually make sure that somebody's working for my state and at the same time, working to enact policies that put our country first. It's been way too long under Obama. Uh, Look, Liz Warren is for single-payer health care. We've seen that the uh, Unaffordable Care Act has driven up costs for health care, never gave us the $2,500 annual savings we were were promised that we were going to get. And I think with Elizabeth Warren, all you're going to get is far more progressive, open borders, and, um, you know, a globalist sort of mentality that's really not helping our economy. Absolutely true. We're talking, if you just tuned in, I hope you didn't just tune in, but we're speaking with Representative Jeff Deal, who is running against Elizabeth Warren for a seat in the United States Senate from the state of Massachusetts. Very quickly, in 10 seconds, your website, people can find you? Yep, dealforsenate.com, D-I-E-H-L-F-O-R, senate.com. And look, even if you don't live in Massachusetts, but you want to make sure Warren doesn't run for president in 2020, (laughs) when we knock her out in November... We'll do both those things at once. Thank you so much, Jeff Deal. Thanks for calling in. Great to have you. Come right back, folks. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. 
Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Love, love talking with you every Sunday night, 6 to 8 p.m. I also love talking to you during the week. I do a podcast Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Central Time. And I do it on Facebook Live. If you're watching the show on Facebook Live, uh, every Wednesday at 3 and occasionally other times. And, you know, I just, I, I love, it's my passion to speak up for America, to try to talk about politics, not so much from the perspective of, you know, labels and party names, but just preserving America. Um, I also want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this show. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works. Simply could not do the show without them. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. So thank you, GC Works. Okay, I want to go back to a story I was talking about earlier. I was talking about all of the uprising um, in Western European countries, the actual uh, governments becoming, um, you know, in, in Austria, they are closing down some mosques where they discovered the imams were actually encouraging jihad were encouraging uh, violence, and they are they had they passed a law in a few, in 2015 in Austria, essentially saying that um, we're not going to have parallel societies. They acknowledged that the Islamic refugees moving into Austria were attempting to set up 
you know, it's what the no-go zones are all about. There's a parallel society idea that we're going to come into your country and we're going to refuse to live under your laws and your system. We're going to bring our own system in. And Austria is saying, no, we're not going to have that here. So part of what Austria did is put in place um, this uh, prohibition on funding of mosques and Islamic centers from foreign governments or, or from, uh, out, from any money outside of Austria. They weren't going to let the jihad exporting countries, the, the um, terrorist exporting organizations, be feeding and funding um, terror inside Austria. It was a very brave move, a very, a very forward move. And so what's happened in Austria, there was an announcement that they are going to um, close down some, some mosques where they find they are encouraging violence. And they're also going to... Um, uh, uh, they're forcing to leave. They're kicking out some imams. And the, um, in fact, some of the uh, imams who are at being um, forced out were being paid by the country of Turkey. Turkey has become, you know, it's a jihadist-run country. It's a very, very sad and, and just a crushing development for people who hope that Turkey could turn the corner and become, uh, become a civilized country, but it's not going to be. So Turkey's put a statement out. Erdogan, um, who is the head of Turkey, in fact, um, uh, has put a statement out. Austria's moved to expel imams and close mosques as part of an anti-Islamic, racist, discriminatory, populist wave in the country. I want to go back to the story to say this. These are very hard issues for people to talk about, and they're very hard even in countries where they face uh, – it's hard in England when Tommy Robinson is just trying to say, can we please call attention to these Muslim um, gang rape cases? Because for so long, the the pressures of the Islamic – it's a a cultural jihad, a civilization jihad. It is actioned by Islamic refugees in various countries to not just spread violence – but to also take over the culture and, and cause people in power, the police, the, the, the courts, the media, the people who should be reporting the truth aren't doing it. And so the, the people, the, the citizens, the, the native uh, people of England and, and Italy and France and Austria and all over Western Europe are saying, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're kowtowing and bowing to this civilization jihad being conducted right in front of our faces. Well, I'll tell you one story about Austria, which um, is is a it's just a story to understand when you to get a, a clearer idea of why it why, why it is in Austria that the people's you know, it, it may be that the government's pressured by um, constant threats of being labeled Islamophobe. The politicians get pressured. They get pressured here in America, but over there, pressured don't want to be called Islamophobe. Don't want to be called a hater. So they comply. They capitulate. They surrender to the demands of Islamic extremists. And so this is what why Tommy Robinson and so much of the English uh, people are, are just in an uprising mode because they can't get the government to listen. In Austria, the story I wanted to share, and I, I think we talked about this at the time it happened, but in Austria, there was a Muslim immigrant. I think he was from Iraq, either Iraq or Iran. Anyway, he was a Muslim immigrant um, in that country, a refugee, and he um, was using a public swimming pool in the summertime. And uh, at that pool, which so he's, you know, it's not his country. He's, he's moving into Austria. He comes into the country. He's using his public swimming pool in the summertime. He followed a 10-year-old boy into the, in the changing room, the locker room, uh, by the swimming pool, uh, grabbed him out of the shower, thrust him into a, um, a stall, and uh, 
anally raped him. I'm just horrible, you know, attack. So he was um, found. I mean, he was ultimately captured, this Islamic immigrant to in um, Austria, and um, was prosecuted. And um, his defense in the trial for raping a 10-year-old boy, his defense was emergency because he said, I haven't, my wife is in another country. I haven't seen her in four months. That was his defense. And he was convicted and went all the way up to the uh, Supreme Court of Austria, the highest court, whatever it's called, who reversed his conviction, sent it back down to the trial court to explore the question of whether or not this adult man who raped a 10-year-old boy, whether this man, because of a language barrier, didn't realize the boy was saying no. Seriously, that's what happened. And so, first of all, you you know, raising the question, you mean if the boy said yes, then it would have been okay? I mean, the kid's been grabbed out of a shower in a public place, you know, assaulted horrifically, and the court isn't sure if they can uphold that conviction of that guy. So these kind of stories, I'm just telling you this here, but these kind of stories float around in Austria and all over Western Europe as they've had just this massive influx of of individuals who do not wish to assimilate their behavior, standards, morals, and laws to Western civilization. That's what's happening in Western Europe. And I, I raise it just to say, I think you will see more and more stories about this, that the, the demand of people, uh, uh, the of people, of citizens and the uh, people in government and the media to start telling the truth about this problem. Because it's easy to say, it's the easiest thing as a reporter, as a left-wing person in government to say, oh, there goes a lot Islamophobes. You just don't like people who don't look like you. You just don't like people who are from different country you are nationalist you are you know some other uh, accusation and um and it gets hard to speak up but you know we have to speak up because in america as i said earlier we're about 10 years behind england and western europe in having the this impact of the civilization jihad impact on america's culture where we need to be instead defending our culture, insisting Islamic supremacism has no place in America, insisting jihad can never occur, insisting Sharia, Islamic law, can have no foothold in any place in America. That's our job, to defend this country. Okay, I want to go back to that because I, I understand that if you don't tune in this issue very much and you haven't read much about it, it could sound like, well, gee, why are they picking on these um, people and these uh, imams and mosques in, in Austria? And there's just a growing problem. It's incumbent upon intelligent people to be aware of the situation. Okay, changing the topic entirely. What I said on Facebook post I was going to be talking about this hour, I'm going to talk about now, which, you know, there's this um, thing that uh, happened with the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, I have like a special place in my heart for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, my, uh, my brother was a huge fan of all teams related to Philadelphia. So, you know, Eagles were huge. They won the Super Bowl. And then uh, what happened this last week was, uh, the, so the Super Bowl is in Jan- no, February. And so they won. They, they beat the Patriots. And everyone's excited. The Eagles won. And then there was, there's often an invitation of uh, prevailing teams in big sports to come to the White House and have a special honoring and have, you know, the teams there lined up behind the president and they, you know, honor them and congratulate them on their victory. 
Well, so the Eagles were invited to the White House, and this past week, I think it was this past Tuesday, they were supposed to come, and, and you know, it's the team and the coaches and the, uh, and I assume, you know, several coaches and other people related to the team, and even some fans. But what happened was um, the Eagles let uh, President Trump know on Monday that most of them were withdrawing their agreement to come. They were RSVPing, never mind, I'm not coming. And they only had, some reports said three people were going to show up. So President Trump said, "Okay, you know what? We're canceled. I mean, it was an attempt by the Eagles to make him to embarrass President Trump. So he's supposed to have a big team lined up behind him. He's got three people. He decided, never mind, we won't do this. But what he did do instead. um, So he he canceled this Eagles reception. And um, there was a, um, uh, you know, a lot of complaint about how dare he do that? How dare President Trump do that? And, and you know, criticism of him. We're going to get, I'm going to run out of time in this segment to hit the story, but obviously all this arises and is related to the NFL protest about the national anthem and the question about whether the national anthem protest and President Trump's words condemning or criticizing a protest was, or his words, appropriate? Were they too much? Uh, and what the Eagles were saying, I have to say that President Trump did extend an offer, which I'll play for after the break, to say, but since you're protesting police brutality, if you think there are cases we should look into for a possible pardon, let me know. So that's what Trump floated back to the Eagles more after the break. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. 
the freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Okay, welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is the these are the fastest two hours of my week, and I, I always have more stories that I want to talk with you about than time to talk about them. Um, back to the story we were, just before the break, we were talking about President Trump, and he decided, and and the Philadelphia Eagles, and the whole thing with the um, celebration that was offered at the White House for the uh, team that won the Super Bowl. I can think it was Super Bowl 52. And so, yeah, but he said, you know, never mind. So I want to play a short clip. I have clip three here. This is President Trump talking about uh, what he was going, his, what he was addressing to the Eagles. We have a great country. You should stand for our national anthem. You shouldn't go in a locker room when our national anthem is played. I am going to ask all of those people to recommend to me because that's what they're protesting. People that they think were unfairly treated by the justice system. And I understand that. And I'm gonna ask them to recommend to me people that were unfairly treated, friends of theirs or people that they know about. And I'm gonna take a look at those applications. And if I find, and my committee finds that they're unfairly treated, then we will pardon them or at least let them out. You know, this is a, a really, I want to talk about this issue. I, I've raised it so many times in the show, but I just, it, it tugs at my heart, I will tell you. I have dear friends who are conservative, who are African-American, who support the NFL protests. They're otherwise conservative. They're otherwise, you know, they think conservatively, but they they can relate to and they feel concerned about what the NFL protesters are protesting about. And so we've talked about this issue many times in this show. I think this was one answer. I mean, I don't think President Trump had to let himself be humiliated by 
hosting the winning team of the Super Bowl and having three of them show up. I mean, that was obviously an effort to humiliate him. And I'm glad he said no thank you to that. I think this was a good reaching out. And I really hope that the NFL players, not just the Eagles, but really any of the players whose protest against the national anthem at um, NFL games um, is uh, is about police brutality or, or racism in America or the way people they believe are mistreated in our justice system. I really hope he gets some answers from some of them because I do think that it would be a, a great uh, solution, a great thing if actual cases were brought to him and he could um, and, and if they're was found to be injustice in some way he could address them. I thought that was a great answer to it. I do feel like this issue has most unfortunately uh, become such a, a, a source of anger and, and a litmus test, and, and either you're, you love the country or you don't. And I, I don't, I think that, I think most people in America love this country. I do think that the NFL owners had the right, which they finally came around and did. The NFL owner said this for now and going forward. Yeah, you either have to stand if you're a player and the, the anthem is playing. You stand like you're like the is the proper protocol, or you stay in the locker room. I mean, I understand Trump saying isn't even like that, but they're saying that. But you know, the NFL pl- uh, owners they're the ones losing money, losing uh, millions. In fact, I, I've heard some defenders of this anthem protest say, "Oh, they're not losing any money," but that is a lie. It's a lie. The NFL is losing money and losing viewers over this protest because many people feel like this is not the place. You know, the, the flag stands for the military. It stands for the country. It stands for the, it's the one symbol that unites us. And this is a way. For the, so this is a time and place to come together in unity. And so have people pay exorbitant amounts of money to buy season tickets or even to buy tickets for one game. And they don't want to come and see people disrespecting the flag. And so I think that there's a I think the owners had to come around to something saying they can't keep losing viewers and revenue over this protest, but I do think that this, what President Trump reaching out to the, um, not just the Eagles, who, by the way, the Eagles did stand the whole season. They did not do the, the um, you know, kneel or turn their back or whatever the protest would be. The Eagles did stand for the national anthem the entire season, which is great to know. Anyway, um, so I just, this is an ongoing thing in America. I think if it promotes dialogue about cases that people think were unfair, I think that's a, a great thing, a healthy thing for America. Okay, so we're on the last uh, segment, and there's just a story. I have to tell you, folks, this story has been on my stack of stuff. I don't know how many shows, and I don't get to it, and I at least want to plant a seed about it now, this story I'm about to talk with you about, because we're going to run out of time uh, before I can get to um, all of it. But I want to just start it by saying, I don't know how many of you have been tuning in. You know, there's a scandal brewing in the American left. There's a scandal brewing involving Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was formerly the head of the... Um, you know, she was the head of the DNC and she lost that position because uh, turns out she was showing favoritism for her buddy Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders during the uh, primary, uh, the presidential primary. And people didn't think that was right. Uh, and they're right. So Debbie Washman Schultz, though, is in the middle of this astonishing scandal that would be on the front page of the paper every day. It would be discussed on CNN Every day, like they're doing right now with the, the non-scandal of Trump and Russia, it would be reported breathlessly and shockingly and, out, and with outrage 
except because it involves Democrats, it's you barely hear a peep. And it's a huge issue and has to do with um, their people they had hired a, a group, a family whose last name was Awan, um, A-W-A-N, Awan, the main tech aide, the IT aide in Congress, employed by 44 Democrats, was a man named Imran Awan. He's Pakistani, and the and he and numerous of his family members became employed in Congress for IT, doing computer backup, checking, updating, whatever it is they do, all related to the um, to the uh, computer uh, computers and computer servicing. These people were. Um, uh, working for 44 members of, of Democrat members of Congress in all 44 cases. So these people have access to every Democrat's computer, every Democrat's computer. They have access to information stored on those computers. They lawfully got into them. This scandal has been brewing for years. One one outlet, the Daily Caller, has been trying to call attention to this story, and it is just astonishing that pretty much because the mainstream media never reports anything hurts Democrats, you don't even know the story, or maybe you do. Let me just tell you that the Inspector General, the who is, as you likely know, Inspector Generals are appointed uh, for over uh, all sorts of entities in Washington, agencies and Congress. The Inspector General let Congress know that uh, Imran Awan and his family had logged into the House Democrat Caucus's server, the House Democrat Caucus's server, 7,000 times without authorization, 7,000 times without authorization between late 2015 and mid-2016, incidentally coinciding with the time period during which the Democrat National Committee server was hacked. The inspector general pointed out excessive logins are an indication that the server is being used for nefarious purposes. It elevates the risk that individuals could be reading or removing information. And this was a report made by the inspector general to the Democrats in Congress in 2016. After this, after this report, the server disappeared. So you talk about a scandal Way bigger than, okay, it's not bigger than Hillary Clinton with her server in her home endangering national security secrets. Way bigger than anything else that the Washington Post and New York Times and CNN spent all this time blathering about, about the non-existent scandal of Trump and the Russians. This is huge. Okay, so during the same time period that the DNC was hacked, this family of, of Imran Awan 7,000 times without authorization hacked in. Number two, the 44 Democrats who all use the services of the same family, all, all waived any security background check of any kind for the family. There's a process you're supposed to follow. They exempted the Pakistani aides from background checks. So this whole process you're supposed to follow Every single one of the Democrats said, mm, never mind, we're not going to bother with that. All of them appear to, because you're supposed to require this background check, but the exception is if you hire someone and they should have a background check, you can say, well, I will waive the background check because I've been told by another member of Congress that it's okay. 
So these people, things that might have come up in their background checks, uh, one of them, one of the brothers, Abid, has a $1.1 million bankruptcy. People with money problems are huge security risks. Six lawsuits against him or a company he owned. Three misdemeanor convictions, including for DUI. Um, They... uh, I mean, it goes on and on. These people had a series of criminal um, criminal uh, conduct in their background. They had a series of wrongdoing that is just breathtaking. But because nobody did any inspection, nobody knew that this, that this was happening. I, I mean, it's beyond breathtaking. So um, the inspector general warned them, uh, warned the Democrats, you really need to knock this off. Okay, so the theft of this server occurred. It was physically stolen, reported in early 2017. The server was stolen. Um, the theft occurred weeks before then-Representative Xavier Becerra, the chairman of the House Democrat Caucus, he'd resigned, but he was informed by authorities they needed a copy of the Democrat server. So when this inspector general tells Becerra, the guy who is the chairman of the House Democrat Caucus, we need a copy of that server. He turns to the Imran Awan family, crime family, turns to them and asks for a copy of it. But instead of providing the actual server, his staff unknowingly gave authorities a falsified fake image of the server given to them by Awan and his family. So what remains unclear is why this stunning failure of were they naive, were they stupid, were they in, uh, complicit? But the other really bizarre aspect of this story, and we're gonna, I'm going to have to hit this story next week and do it at the beginning. The other bizarre aspect of it is as the uh, House, the Capitol Police began looking into this story and asking Debbie Wasserman Schultz, inquiring around, who are these people? Why do they have access? Why didn't anybody want a background check? Debbie Wasserman Schultz lost her mind yelling at the House, the, the House Capitol Police, t- calling them effing, only she said the word, effing Islamophobes, accusing them of being Islamophobic for even looking into what this family had been up to. Okay, we're out of time. I'm sad to report for the show tonight. I'm going to start with the story next week. It is huge. It is amazing. And it is uncovered by mainstream media in America. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America. Can we talk? Come back every Sunday, 6 to 8, Wednesdays, 3 p.m. on Facebook Live. Talk to you then. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.